Hello, this is Joshua Mack from Cornerstone Bible Church, and we're talking marriage and family. And specifically, uh, today I want us to think a little bit about how to make someone angry. Obviously, when uh, people get angry, and especially when they get uh, sinfully angry at us, uh, we tend to think that uh, they're completely to blame. It must be their problem, right? And of course, there's a little bit of truth in that. If we get angry at other people, uh, we do have a responsibility. We can't just look at them and say, you know what? You are the one who made me mad. I had to sin because of what you did. Because if we're Christians, that's just clearly not true. We have the Spirit of God and we have a responsibility to God to obey him and to fight against sinful anger no matter what other people are doing. And yet, at the same time, it would be foolish for us to act as if we couldn't act in such a way that would make it more tempting for other people to become angry. And that's not just sort of obvious from living life. It's also clearly biblical. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, as we were saying this past Sunday at church, actually, Paul tells fathers that they have a responsibility not to provoke their children to anger. And uh, you remember, that was a shocking thing for Paul to say, especially in that culture. The responsibility always went up, children to fathers. Children needed to think about how not to provoke their fathers to anger. But in the church, that is uh, really turned upside down, at least in Ephesians chapter 6. Paul tells fathers, the, the, the leaders of the home, that they need to think about how to relate to their children in such a way that it, it, they're not making it more easy for their children to sinfully become angry. And so we turned to the book of Proverbs and began thinking about how do we do that? Because in the book of Proverbs, uh, the writer of Proverbs talks a lot about how we can stir up strife. He gives a number of examples and he says, if you do this, it stirs up strife. And so we began working through those examples and I I thought I could uh, do that again today, maybe just a little bit more expanded, the expanded version from Sunday because we sort of just ran through the list. And so some of what I'll say here is actually what we talked about uh, this past week on Sunday, but we went through it so quickly, and hopefully uh, this particular uh, podcast will give you an opportunity to think a little more deeply about ways in which you can relate to others that will make it harder for them uh, to do what's right or make it easier for them to sin. And so uh, we're going to think about ways in which Proverbs says you can stir another person up to anger or create strife. And uh, the first big way we we talked about last su- Sunday to get someone angry is to be a sinfully angry person yourself. So Proverbs fifteen eighteen, it says, A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. And uh, you meet people uh, sometimes who yell and scream 
at their wives and at their children, at their wife and at their children, and they can't figure out why their children or their wife yells and screams at them. They, they don't have self-control because you don't have self-control. When a child is growing up in a family with an angry father or an angry mother, he learns to become angry himself. He's literally being trained in being ticked off. And that's not just true for, for children. Proverbs twenty two twenty four and 25 explains that we shouldn't make a friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. We are born imitators. And so one of the ways that God designed us to learn was by spending time with other people, watching other people. And they might not necessarily even be intentionally teaching us, but they are teaching us by the way that they react, by the way that they live their life. And if we spend time with an angry person, we are going to become angry People. We are teaching our children, even if we're not angry at them, honestly, if we're just angry with other people, they are learning how to relate to people and to deal with problems from watching us. So uh, the first way to get someone angry is to be a sinfully angry person yourself. Uh, and, you know, there's actually... A, a supernatural element to this, uh, because Paul says in Ephesians chapter four and verse twenty six that if we don't deal with our anger biblically, we give the devil an opportunity. And what he means is that when we're sinful, sinfully angry, it's it's almost like we're leaving the door unlocked to our homes and open, really, for the devil to come in and cause all kinds of destruction to our families. And so. Uh, the point of all this is that uh, in in our homes, especially as moms and dads, as, as husbands and wives, we, we want to set the pace and show our children uh, the right way to deal with anger. As uh, selfish people, there are all kinds of things every day that we can get mad about. And uh, we need to show our family what it looks like to be self-controlled when we're not getting what we want. Uh, and when the people around us really struggle with self-control, and especially our children, it's good for us uh, to ask ourselves, is it because I really struggle with self-control? Have I taught them, not just through my words, but through my example, how to respond to, uh, to not getting what I want? It's funny, it makes me think of... Uh, uh, Muzi, Muzi, uh, I think many of you know Muzi. He's uh, or know of Muzi. He is a uh, a really special kid, and um, he lives in the moment. He's uh, special needs, severely special needs, and lives in the moment. And so, uh, when uh, you're happy, generally he's happy. When you're worried, generally he's worried. He really responds to the situation uh, that he finds himself in. And uh, yet, sometimes, I mean, Muzi's a uh, struggles like the rest of us do. And so sometimes he would get upset and uh, he really, when he started to get upset, would really have a difficult time controlling his emotions. And so he would go into his room at points really pretty uh, angry. And uh, it would be, uh, it was it was just kind of interesting. If I would go into to Muzi and, and he was angry, he would, he would really respond to the way that I related to him. And so I would almost watch him uh, just 
cool down, calm down as I uh, talk to him in a very uh, relaxed and and uh, gentle way. And yet if I didn't do that, of course, Muzi would respond. And it was just so, so in your face with Muzi. And yet it's the same thing that happens with other children as well. They're watching and they're learning how to deal with life from watching you. And so if you have angry children, is it because you're an angry person? Are they learning that from you? Second, a second way to provoke your children to anger is to speak in uh, harsh or pain-producing ways. So if I wanted to get your attention, I could come up to you and uh, pat you on the shoulder, or I could come up to you and slap you in the face. Either way, I'm going to get your attention, but there are going to be some pretty different reactions. And uh, the same is true with the way you speak. Uh, Sometimes the way people speak is like a slap in the face. And really, they shouldn't be surprised when people respond by getting angry. It's kind of funny. It would be like slapping someone in the face, them being like, why'd you do that? And you being like, hey, look, you shouldn't be getting angry. You really shouldn't be getting angry here. Of course, they shouldn't be getting angry, but you, you just slap them in the face. And sometimes the way we talk is like a slap in the face. Solomon puts it very simply. He says, Proverbs 15, 1, a harsh word stirs up anger. Now, harsh there could refer to the actual content of your words where you put people down, or it could even refer to your tone, speaking in a way that is intended to make the other person hurt. So you can slap people in the face with what you say, or you can slap them in the face with how you say it. If you need specific examples of this kind of speech, one would be Proverbs eleven twelve. It talks about belittling speech. And I, I, I think I've said this before, but I like that English word belittle, because this is speech where you're basically saying to someone with the way you talk to them, belittle. This is where a parent talks in such a way to make his child feel like a fool. Do you have a brain? You, you dummy. Those are, I mean, obviously harsh words. Another kind of harsh word that Proverbs talks about are rash words, Proverbs twelve eighteen, And uh, rash words are words that are spoken in the heat of the moment uh, without thinking. They're words you use uh, when you're angry, like a knife in uh, a fight just to jab somebody. Uh, Anger wakes up selfish desires and puts the security guard for our mouth to sleep. And so it's easy for attacking words just to rush out. And when that's something that's happening on a regular basis, it produces children who do the same thing. Now, uh, two quick warnings. Um, The first is, Obviously, you're not the only one who can teach your children how to speak angry words. And uh, when you have television on all the time, you have to realize that your children are watching and learning from the television shows that they're seeing. And it may be that you're not saying nasty words at home, but still your children are hearing these nasty words. And, uh, and, and you shouldn't be surprised when they start imitating what they see on TV as well. And, uh, of course, another place they learn harsh words is at school. And so it would be uh, foolish for you not to help them think a little bit about 
their words and uh, how certain words are uh, and certain ways of speaking to people are actually inappropriate and why, especially get to why it's inappropriate. Second um, warning is just that when you, sometimes when you grow up in, in a certain place around certain people who have a certain way of speaking, you don't even notice how harsh that way of talking is because you're used to it. So it's kind of like a, a child who has headphones on and they're listening to loud music and uh, they talk to you, but they're basically shouting and they don't notice it. And sometimes people are like that. They just use harsh words. Uh, that's what they have always uh, heard. Uh, they don't really uh, notice how rough they're being. And uh, I've seen that thing all all the time. It's not uncommon for people to speak in really terribly harsh, rude ways and uh, not even seem to notice. And uh, so, you know, we shouldn't excuse that. Um, and this is part of why it's such a joy to be part of a, a church. We need to, to learn that there is a, a different way of speaking. And certainly we want to make it easier for our children. If we grew up in families that spoke in just really harsh ways, that makes it more difficult for us. And we don't want to pass that on to our children. And so uh, we want to think about a new way of speaking so that they can just learn that and it will be easier for them to speak in uh, kind, health, healthy ways to, to their families as they grow up. Uh, a third way to make other people angry is just to be the kind of person who doesn't overlook mistakes. Uh, Proverbs uh, ten twelve says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers over offenses. And you kind of see the contrast there. Uh, what does hatred do? Stirs up strife. What's the opposite of that? Covering offenses. And so when you really love somebody, you are willing to overlook times when they hurt you. You don't have to bring up every sin or mistake. But when you don't love somebody, you know what you do. You're constantly pointing out the errors they're making. And uh, you can probably see how that goes in your own life, where, where someone you really care about says something to you that's a little offensive. You're like, okay, I don't like that, but I love that guy, and I'm just going to ignore uh, at this time, and then someone uh, you don't like so much says the same thing to you, and you freak out. Um, and and we would all hope. I say I I would imagine that we would say we we love our children, um, or that we do love our children. I guess I should say it like that. But we we need to be careful that we don't hate them in the way we act, where every time they fail, we have to point it out and shove it in their face. You know, uh, being a Christian is great for a lot of reasons, and especially having learned some information and, and gone to church and, and growing in your relationship with God. That's great for, for many, many reasons. But one little challenge sometimes is, especially when you've been a Christian a long time, is that it's hard for you to call things what they are because um, you don't want to see yourself that way. And you know it's just so not right. Uh, and so uh, sometimes... Uh, you know, we're doing things, we're, we're doing things that just legitimately are hate, hate, we're hating people. And yet, of course, we'd say, we would never say we hate them. We know that's so wrong. So we would say, I, we love them. I, this, this is not that I hate them, but, and then what we do is actually hate. And so it's helpful to call things what they are that enables us to repent and be like, no, this action, this way of 
treating someone is hatred. If I'm constantly pointing out errors, constantly pointing out mistakes, constantly remembering things that have been forgiven and bringing them up, that is not love. That is not love. That is actually hatred and it needs to be repented of. And, uh, you know, in a, a, a family, if people around you are angry, you might just ask yourself, uh, do I show them any grace? Am I one of those kinds of people who has to point out every mistake every time someone does something that I don't like? And uh, also, you don't want to allow older siblings to do this with younger siblings either. Uh, we have a lot of children, and my wife would often say to our older children, please uh, let her be three years old, <laughs> or remember she is being five years old. Um, because she has to remind them to let the younger ones make mistakes. They're still young. They're still learning. Of course, as uh, parents, we have to think a little bit because part of our job is to instruct. And so uh, when we say uh, that we need to overlook offenses, that doesn't mean that we're, we're not going to have to step in and talk about areas where our children uh, failed. And there's going to need to be some wisdom when it comes to this. Um, and, uh, and so uh, you might look at yourself and ask, am I uh, the kind of person who uh, just overlooks everything? Well, then I'm probably going to have to do some work to point things out. Am I the kind of person who points everything out? Then I'm maybe going to need to do some work to uh, step back and actually let people make mistakes and experience some of the consequences uh, for that. Another good question is to ask, is this a principle or a, a, a preference? Is this something that uh, I really can point out in the Bible uh, is, is wrong? Or is this just the way I like it? And uh, I think it could be done better, but the way they're doing it is a way that it could be done. And of course, as a dad or mom, sometimes you do have preferences that are pretty strong. And it's not really wrong for you to have a, a preference that is, is pretty strong as long as it doesn't become an idol or anything like that. But you, you can have preferences. God makes us different, and it is your home, of course. So uh, you, those preferences could be the way that you like things to be done in your home. That, that, that's, that's normal, acceptable, all that. But uh, sometimes what helps with other people is to uh, let them know that you know it is a preference and uh, that there are other ways of doing it. And so you're asking them to do it this way, and yet you realize they, it might be easier for them to do it another way. And so you can even just say that in a way that expresses your thanks, thankfulness for them. Thank you. You know, daddy is a little weird when it comes to this. Uh, this is the way I think it should be done. I, 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 uh, it really means a lot to me. I'm not even sure that I can totally explain why it means a lot to me, uh, but it does. And so uh, I guess part of being in a family is showing one another honor and grace. And so I'm just asking you that you would uh, help daddy by doing, uh, doing it this way. Uh, another way uh, that you can make people angry is by being so sure of yourself that you don't take other people's counsel seriously. Um, in Proverbs 13.10, Solomon says, by insolence comes nothing but strife, and insolence there is referring to someone who doesn't take advice. And so uh, there is hardly anything more frustrating than someone who's overconfident in his own abilities and in his own knowledge. Uh, and your children are going to see that. And uh, they may be intimidated by you for a while, 
but they'll soon learn that you are just hot air. And after a while of you talking so arrogantly and refusing to humble yourself and take direction, they're going to become uh, bitter at you for not ever listening to good counsel. And so when your children are angry, you might look at yourself and ask, do you ever admit that you don't know or that you're wrong? If they're angry, that's a, another chance for you in a, in, in, a, uh, in a gracious way to be able to come to your children, uh, especially as they get a little bit older, but to say, hey, I can see that you're really bothered here. Um, this, this is not the way that you normally respond or something like that. And um, yeah, I, I just want to, I want to make sure that I'm not missing something. Is there something in, in what I'm doing or the way I'm relating to you that is making it more difficult for you, that's causing you to, uh, to really be tempted to respond like this? Because this, this maybe isn't appropriate, the way that you're responding, but I realize that I could have put the pressure on you and not realize it. So can you help me see me so that I can relate to you in a way that is, uh, is more helpful? Well, uh, let me give you a, a just one more. There's actually, I've, I've got a lot more here, so we're going to have to uh, come back to this. But uh, I know that we all only have so much time. So uh, a fifth way you can make people angry is, is by being so focused on your own personal best that uh, you're willing to step all over people and sin to get it, even the people in your family. And so... Uh, we come out of the womb, you know, with our own jersey on, you know, we're, che- we're, we're cheering for ourselves. We're our own biggest fans. We're, we're trying um, basically from babyhood to, to get the whole world to revolve around us. And so when we're babies, we just are like doing that. We have one option in terms of how we get everybody to do what we want. We just scream, you know, um, when we're, we're hungry or, or thirsty, we just scream. As we grow up, we start to realize, okay, screaming all the time takes a lot of effort and it doesn't work. It seems to sometimes get in the way. And we learn other ways to try to manipulate people to do what we want that, don't, that aren't quite as obvious and uh, yet are just as selfish. Uh, there's an interesting contrast about this in Proverbs 14, uh, 17. It says, a man of quick temper acts foolishly and a man of evil devices is hated. So the man of evil devices, you could translate that, uh, the schemer. The schemer is hated. So the quick-tempered person, he has no control over his emotions. He's just out there. He's doing stupid things. But the schemer, he's more disciplined. He keeps his emotions in check. But that doesn't mean that he's better than the quick-tempered person. No, he's thinking and making plans about how he can get what he wants just as much and, and how he can use other people to get what he wants. And there are uh, parents like that, husbands like that, wives like that, where they're scheming. They're always scheming. They're making plans about how to get their way. And especially when it comes to their kids, they're older than their kids. They're maybe, uh, they've, they've been around a little longer than their kids. So they don't just freak out and do stupid things that shows everybody how selfish they are, but they're just as self-focused. And Solomon says, you know what happens to a person like that? He's, he's hated. Even his own children end up hating him because he's so self-centered. And uh, so if your children are angry, it might just be a wake-up call for you to ask yourself if you're overly focused on yourself and what you want, 
to the point where you aren't really noticing your kids and what is is best for them. And of course, that's not just true when it comes to your kids, but that can also be true uh, when it comes to your your spouse. Uh, Paul Tripp tells a story that illustrates just how kind of funky this can get. Uh, one day he was at work, apparently, and uh, he was thinking about his his wife, and he was thinking, how can I uh, love her? And uh, he thought, you know what, there's a special restaurant that we love, and he starts making this whole huge plan to take her out to the special restaurant to just surprise her, and the whole day goes by, and he's 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 doing it up and, and adding things to his plan and making it more and more elaborate. And he's also imagining how she's going to respond when uh, he gets home and he tells her what he wants to do. And uh, he just knows that she's going to say, you know, Paul, you're the best husband there ever was. Uh, you're my knight in shining armor and all of that. And yet when he knocks on the door, you know, to come home or he doesn't knock on the door, I suppose he's just coming home. He walks in the, the house and, uh, he he doesn't even see where his wife is and he just hears yelling in the other room and when he gets to the to to where his wife finally is the, the house is this gigantic mess and she's just obviously distraught and tired and he says to her um uh Luella I want to do something incredibly special for you and take you out to dinner tonight and she's like what no man no I don't want to do that, uh, what I want to do is uh, for you to have you watch the children for a little bit, so I can go up to bed and and just rest. And I'm probably messing his story up a little bit, so don't blame Paul. But the 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 point is, you know, if Paul gets upset at that moment when his wife asks him to do that instead of him taking her out to dinner. Who really is Paul's plan about, ultimately? I mean, he would say to himself, I just want to show love to my wife. But here his wife is telling him, this is how you can show love to me. And if he gets upset about that, it's, it's a sign that it's not this plan to take her out to dinner is, is not totally about her and her good. But self has creeped into that. And, you know, if that's a consistent pattern that, that really we're, we're driven by self while claiming to be loving the person in front of us, it shouldn't be surprising that after a while people see that and, uh, and that tempts them, tempts them to become angry. Obviously, when we uh, talk about all this, uh, how to make other people angry, when we look at the book of Proverbs, which is giving us wisdom for life, uh, one of the things that it does is it exposes that we're often foolish and consistently foolish. And it can be a little humbling, you know, almost feel like, hey, uh, a burden on our backs. I've failed in so many ways. And if if you feel that as you think about some of these things, uh, you don't have to be too scared of that. It's, uh, we're all sinners. And uh, having your sin exposed is, is maybe a little bit painful, but it's also good because if you're a Christian, hey, Jesus loves you. He knew you while you were a sinner. 
and he chose you while you were a sinner. And he came and died on the cross. He came to save sinners. And so you see your sin. Yeah, it hurts, but you have to see it to change. And you can see it without just becoming absolutely devastated because you know that, first of all, God's forgiven you for all that sin because of what Jesus has done and that Jesus loves you even after all these years as you continue to struggle. And as you, as you think about the patience Jesus has shown you, the sacrifices Jesus has made to you, for you, the, the grace that he has demonstrated to you, you know what? It should motivate you to become more like him and to deal to deal with some of these patterns and habits maybe that you have in your life that make it uh, easier for other people to sin.